You're busy. We get it. Listen on the go to Farm Journal Intel podcast. The latest insights from our webinars and content streams to inform and inspire your way of life. Building a successful beef on dairy program is more than just selecting black bulls. Learn how to choose beef semen that produce high-quality crossbred calves while minding profitability from Extension Specialists Victor Cabrera, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and Cheryl Ann Fairbairn, Penn State University. Join Dairy Editorial Director Annalisa Laka as she moderates this webinar on how to breed dairy cows for profitable beef. Welcome to this week's um, Farm Journal webinar. Today we're going to talk about how to breed beef, um, to breed dairy cows to produce profitable beef. And we're excited to have our panelists today. We are going to start with Dr. Cabrera from the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Um, Dr. Cabrera is a professor and extension specialist in dairy management at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Uh, he focuses to improve dairy farm profitability, environmental stewardship, and the long-term sustainability of the dairy industry. So with that, we'll start with Dr. Cabrera. Thanks, Annalisa, and thanks, Farm Journal, for this opportunity. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, everyone. So I'm gonna touch today in the big area of the use of beef semen on dairy cows. And I'm gonna concentrate on the economics in the first part. And later I'm gonna talk a, a bit about the sustainability, but uh, more focus the sustainability on the economic side as well. So the first point I would like to share with you is the fact that Farmers have options uh, nowadays with the breeding. They have a cow in heat, and this cow can be bred with a conventional semen as normally has been done for years, or it could be bred with beef semen nowadays. And actually we are finding out every time more that um, there is a relationship or a, an opportunity of use beef together with sex semen. There are farmers today that are using exclusively sex and beef semen and not conventional anymore. But that will depend on what's the, what are the goals of the farmer and what are the economics behind that, uh, certainly. Now, there is, uh, in, in all this decision, uh, there is the fact that we need to take into consideration the genetics of the animals and the age, because likely we will breed beef, for example, to those animals that are lower in the genetics and later in their life, production life, and likely we're gonna try to use sex semen to the best animals on our herd. So all those things need to be considered. So uh, I'm trying to pass my slide here, okay. And so the next thing I wanna mentioned here is the fact that this decision will depend on a number of uh, potential factors. And here I, I mentioned the three more important we think are. Uh, on top there, uh, we can see the replacements needed. And that's an important factor because if the farmer is able to produce more than needed, then there is probably more opportunity to use 
beef semen, and all together with sex semen. Now, this has a huge relationship, obviously, with the performance of the semen being used, uh, whether it's sex or beef or conventional, right? And the relationship between the performance when we use these different type of semen. And obviously, if we're talking about economics here, and most of these decisions will be driven overall, bottom line, by the economics, we need to take into consideration the prices of, in this case, the main product of the breeding, which are the calves being produced, but also the investment we will need to take into consideration to produce those animals, which are the semen. What's the difference between the semen of uh, beef semen, sex semen, and conventional semen, for example? So we came out with this term, uh, similar to the income from uh, overfeed cost. Here we are, finding an index that I think it's useful, income from calves over semen cost. And this will balance uh, on the left, as you can see here, uh, the production of these calves and their value, uh, together with the investment of the different semen types we have available and to use. Now we develop under this concept, a decision support tool that is openly and freely available on this website, dairy management that uh, info at the University of Wisconsin Madison. If you Google it, you will be able to find it very quickly, very easily. And let me give you just a brief uh, introduction to this tool. Basically, what it does, it helps you in the decision of using uh, beef semen on dairy cows and the economic value of doing so. So the first thing is to actually try to customize the tool to your own farm uh, by the number of cows, what is their reproductive performance, et cetera, et cetera, as you can see here. Then in the next step, uh, you will be able to define what are the potential or the number of eligible animals that you would have in different categories by age of animals, whether they are heifers or different lactations, and what would be the expected conception rate by using this uh, uh, different type of semen whether it is conventional sex or beef semen, what we are talking about here, what we are trying to decide. And then another important and last thing to decide in point number three here in the tool is whether we want to split even each one of these categories or groups of eligible for breeding animals in top of bottom, if we want to give different type of semen, different type of breeding to top animals and bottom animals. So basically the tool, what calculates at the end, basically is how many replacements we're gonna be producing with our strategy we are proposing in the tool and what's gonna be the economic value of doing that. And we calculate this economic value as the income from calves over semen costs. In this case, as an example, for example, uh, we will we will gain $4,000 of extra income over semen cost, and we still will be producing seven uh, calves more than needed on the herd. So it would be an attractive uh, business uh, proposition using beef semen in this situation, in this specific farm, and under this market conditions. you can see here it's important, the calf value, and also the semen cost would be very important. So the recommendation at the end is, this is a farm specific decision making and the tool is important for that reason.
So what we did is, and I'm gonna try to go fast on this, different scenarios analysis using this tool. So we created a farm of a thousand cows with 35 uh, a year cooling rate, et cetera, et cetera. And then we did different scenarios whether the farm would have low, medium, or high reproductive performance. And then what we tried is to use different levels of sex semen and also beef semen. And for the case of sex semen, for example, not to use at all or use very heavily even up to the second lactation of animals and everything in between. And one scenario actually included the sex semen uh, splitting the herd in top genetics and give to those top genetics the sex semen. And then uh, the beef semen was used in the rest of the animals uh, in combination or not with conventional semen. So there were, for example, in the case of the heifers, we assume that no farmer would be willing to provide beef semen or breed the, the heifers with beef. So everything that was not bred in the heifers with sex semen was bred with conventional semen. In the case of the adult cows, there were different combinations of using in between conventional and beef semen, as you can see here. But just remember, this was the rest of animals that were not bred to sex semen. So um, this is after the use of sex semen. There were several, several scenarios with different combinations of use, different breeding protocols and sex semen. So I just want to give you a brief uh, idea here in this three-dimensional graph in which you can see the income from calves over semen cost on the y-axis, the vertical axis here. And then you have in the other two axes, the beef semen use from zero to 100% in the part I'm showing here. And on the other axis, that would be the z-axis here, the sex semen use from not use all the way to maximum use of sex semen, okay? And uh, one thing I wanna point out very quickly here is if we have these circles uh, and their size will indicate how the heifer balance was going on on that scenario. The bigger the ball uh, means that we have more replacements available on that situation. In the case of the cubes here, were the situations in which we didn't have enough replacements from inside the herd. That's why I marked this uh, red circle here, indicating that likely farmers will like a scenario within this circle, in which they have enough replacements from within the herd. That would be most likely the most desirable scenario for the farmers. And within this, we need to look for those scenarios in which we have the maximum income from calves over semen cost. So for example, this scenario here, that would mean 50% uh, of beef semen use and about uh, uh, use of sex semen, use of sex semen, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go back, use of sex semen uh, up to the second breeding on the heifers on that specific situation. And you can see here, this was representing what we call a medium reproductive performance farm. But obviously, as I mentioned before, this will depend a lot on the farm. 
And I'm just going to give you the bottom line here. Um, there are plenty of uh, material about this on my website. The same I mentioned before. This has been presented in several extension meetings, and we have proceeding papers and other papers as well that are available. But I'm going to give you the bottom line here. For the low repro farm, for example, uh, in most of the case, there was a negative income over income from calves over cement costs, meaning that they may not have too much of an opportunity to use beef cement uh, just because they don't have enough or good reproductive performance. And here we are talking about about 16% pregnancy rate on those herds, just to give you an idea. In the case of the medium repro farms, the opportunities start coming very nicely. Most of the cases, they have positive income from calves over cement cost, and they will require to use about at least one breeding on the heifer side with beef semen, with sex semen combined with the beef semen, obviously on the rest of the herd. And so great opportunity here. And in most of the cases, there was a heifer balance greater than zero, meaning that we can produce enough animals from within the herd. In the high repro farms, in all the cases, there was always a positive and high value of income from calves over semen cost. Heifer balance in all the cases positive, and in all the cases, the use of sex semen together with the beef semen was in high level, at least in the first breeding of the heifers, and in many cases in the second breeding, and even in adult cows in many situations. So the opportunity grows more. There is a huge relationship with the repro performance of the farm, and the opportunity is much better here with the current prices of the calves and the semen. So in conclusion for this part, very quickly, it depends on the farm performance. The better the reproductive performance, the better the opportunity to use beef semen. <laughs> it obviously depends on the market conditions, and we're gonna talk a little bit more in the second part of this. And beef semen has a great benefit when it's combined with sex semen, uh, and we are seeing this in real time in farms. That's what they are doing, uh, the most progressive farmers at the moment, indeed. And more when we buy heifers, uh, Holstein females or heifer females for the farm. If that's an opportunity for the farm to do because of the prices, it makes sense. But this has a lot of relationship with how comfortable the farmer would feel to replace the animals from animals from other farms. Uh, we believe many farmers would prefer to replace from inside their own herd. And obviously, one thing we haven't touched here is the fact that uh, when we use beef semen and sex semen together, we are improving the genetic progress. And that has a value that hasn't been accounted here. The tool is available for you, as I mentioned before, on that website. So let's move on very quickly to the second part. Because when we were presenting about this value of using the beef semen, uh, the question was, how sustainable is in the future? Uh, if I enter into this business, I'm going to change my protocol of reproduction. I will need to learn more how to breed with beef and do uh, some 
type of selection of animals to breed differently to different animals, how long that's gonna last. Uh, and so we try to explore that idea by looking at what's happening in the industry. The first thing I wanna share in this part is the fact that this is what is happening at least in Wisconsin. This is data heavily from Wisconsin, but we believe this is not much different of the rest of the US. And this is until 2019, probably the data keeps the increase in 2020. And the fact that's here uh, showing importantly is the fact of about 20%, more than 20% actually of uh, semen nowadays being used in, in dairy cows uh, is beef and close to 20% of the beef uh, of the semen as well used on dairy cows is sex semen. So we're having about 40% of semen use in dairy nowadays that is either beef or sex. Only 60% that is conventional and we believe this trend will continue. Thanks for passing uh, Annalisa. So in the next slide, the other thing I would like to, to mention is the fact that uh, one thing we need to keep in mind if we are talking about sustainability in the long term is not just to do a side business of producing crossbreed animals for the beef industry. Uh, we need to take care of producing good quality animals. And as we have seen here, a group of extension colleagues in the state of Wisconsin did a survey, for example, and there are several traits nowadays, and this is different than a few years back, that are being discounted when we sell calves, crossbred calves, uh, that are not properly uh, produced. So the only point I want to make in this slide is the fact that if we want to be sustainable in the long term with this business of producing crossbred beef animals, uh, we need to take care and produce what the beef industry demands from us. So uh, if I can move to the next slide here, uh, the other thing we did is based on the tool I mentioned before as well, is the fact that uh, uh, we were able to find out actually here the break-even price, how much the price of a crossbreed animal in the market should or should be uh, in order to at least break even and use beef semen on the farm, right? Uh, for example, and this will have a relationship, we will have a high reproductive farm, medium or low reproductive performance farm. And obviously, if we have a high reproductive farm, the price of the crossbreed in the market we need to be as low as $59. We know nowadays it's close to 200, so that means that there is a huge potential there. Even for the medium reproductive farm, the price that needs to be as a break-even in the market is less than $150, huge opportunity there. Now, as I mentioned before, if the reproductive performance of the farm is low, like 15% pregnancy rate, for example, uh, the price of the crossbred in the market will need to be very high and very unlikely in that situation that we would need uh, and or we will have an opportunity to do so. But there are plenty of opportunities. I mean, 20% is not a very 
high nowadays of reproductive performance, and many farms will have much more than that. I believe in Wisconsin, the average is about 24% at the moment. Uh, so there is an opportunity, and even more knowing that the price of uh, crossbreed animals is higher than this number, 149. Uh, the, the number we use is close to 200 indeed. But then the next thing we did is we went to the data of this uh, institute, the Food and Agricultural Policy Research Institute at the University of Missouri, that they have a very nice data, uh, historical data, and then projection data. You see here 20 years of uh, historical data in the continuous line, and the dashed line is the projection for the next 10 years. And here is beef calf numbers, and calf crop. You can see, I mean, uh, and, and, and probably uh, next speaker is going to talk more about this uh, in, the, in the beef industry, but it seems to be that there is a cycle on the animal production of beef in the U.S. And so uh, they look at this cycle that go down and up, and that goes in several years, the cycle. So according to that cycle, they expect that we are reaching at the moment a peak and then the number of these animals will start decreasing and that's a good a positive sign for the price because there will be less supply and probably more demand or at least the same demand uh, and this has relationship with this next graph uh, same same idea same data from the same institute you can see here in the last um, year there has been a lot of variability, but they are expecting in their projection that the beef meat production will not increase uh, and at the most will remain very constant. Again, this is a good signal for the price, for a good price in the near future. Uh, another important point, and I don't know how this is going to happen with now the, this, the, the worldwide situation with COVID, uh, but the beef meat exports were growing they were expecting they will not keep growing much more, but they will not decrease as much either. So um, there seems to be, there was a market outside of the U.S. that uh, was helping to maintain a good price on the beef market. And I don't know how that's going to play, but uh, seems overall it's not going to affect that much. Even more, if we look at this next data, we combine in this case the data from the FAPRI, as before, with the census uh, data. And here we have population and the per capita consumption of beef. There seems to be, uh, if we look the the orange uh, line here, that the consumption of beef, it's projected to be, to decrease a little bit in the next 10 years. However, uh, the population will increase, we will overcompensate that decrease in beef consumption. So bottom line, there will be much more demand of beef in the next 10 years than what it is at the moment. And if we put all this together, uh, and they have done that in the FAPRI indeed, they expect that the price of beef will increase at least in their projection until 2028. So there is a good prospect that the price of crossbred will at least maintain, but very likely even increase in the next 10 years. So, 
Uh, well, I shouldn't say next 10 years, until until 2028 that the projection is indicated here, beef prices will increase. So there is a good prospect there. And so uh, this follows the demand and quality of the crossbred. So we need to keep that in mind once more to repeat that. And the last thing I want to mention here, there is a tool available and there are resources available for further reading and understanding in this uh, area of research or analysis for you to look at. And I believe with that, I would be more than glad to entertain questions or discussion, uh, I believe at the very end. Hey, I actually am gonna give you some questions right now, Victor, that I think um, you'll be the most appropriate person to answer before we move on to Cheryl. Um, yeah. One question that we got while you were presenting is whether or not um, there's a concern that more beef being used on dairy animals could um, cause increased effects on cows due to difficult calving. Um, like, do we have any concern about beef sires in terms of calving ease and those kind of things? Um, and then the, the second part of the question has to do with choosing a beef sire, and it's also tied to another question that we had about whether or not we have progeny performance data available on sires that are currently being used for beef on dairy. Well, all those points are very well taken and very uh, interesting. We recently, with a colleague in the Department of Dairy Science uh, at UW-Madison, and now it's Animal and Dairy Science Department, uh, with Paul Fricky, we, we put together a proposal. He's leading the proposal about using a beef semen on, um, and sex semen on, on heifers and, and cows. And, and we are hoping to be part of that project as well to tackle these issues. Uh, the first one I heard in the, in the question is cabin easy, and, uh, cabin easiness. Uh, that could be a problem. That's why uh, th there, is, there is a need for for the farmer to investigate what should be, and that has to do with the fact that we are talking here and most of this analysis has, have been done with the assumption that there is one general beef semen. And we all know that there are several breeds of beef that could be used as well. And that will make a difference. And it will depend as well on what breed of dairy animals we have. And that's something we should uh, take a closer look. There is a concern, again, I, I mentioned, and we will be working more uh, towards that. And uh, the, the other question, uh, I, I think, uh, related to, to the question is the fact that uh, we should take care of the demand of the product at the end, in this case, crossbreed animals. And, and that will depend in the decision of selecting the best semen that we want to use uh, to produce those animals to the to the market, so there is there there is there is a, there is an area to continue research within this. Very good. 
Um, next, we have Cheryl Ann Fairbairn, and she is an extension educator with Penn State University. Um, she's going to provide us a unique perspective. She comes to this topic from the beef industry side of things, and she's really involved with the CAFET Holstein Initiative and um, helping farmers understand what beef packers want out of crossbreds is her specialty. So with that, welcome Cheryl, please. Thank you, Annalisa. Uh, and if you want to just go ahead and uh, move that slide. So working here, uh, and I'll just preface this by saying that my husband and I are very involved in the beef industry. We, we run 120 head of purebred Angus cows here in Pennsylvania. And we sit right next to Lancaster County, which is the heart of the feedlot industry in Pennsylvania. Um, we are lucky to have two big major packers right in the state of Pennsylvania. We have uh, JBS and Cargill. And so I do work quite a bit with cow-calf people, the feedlot industry, and, and those packers. One of the things in dealing with our um, dairy fellas out here in this end of the, the country is having them understand the beef industry, okay? You are now not producing an animal for milk. You are producing an animal that has to meet the needs of the industry. That means you have several people in line till that meat finally hits the consumer, okay? So most fellas out our direction here, and I think on most dairies, um, sell these calves to a so-called calf ranch, be it small or large, okay? And one of the basic things with a calf ranch is that they want healthy calves, okay? They don't want dead calves, okay? They want calves that have had colostrum, that are ready and willing to go and can survive um, through to the end point that that calf ranch wants to move them. Some of those calf ranches are asking for genomic background on your calves. And that's not from the Holstein side, but from the beef side. And the beef side has, especially the Angus and Simmental, um, Lemmy's have, and also I believe the Charlet have a lot of genomic information on these sires, okay? Which does include calving information. And I heard that question earlier on, and uh, you can get that information. The issue becomes, as we'll talk later on, is you got to remember that Holstein contributes 50% of these genetics. So will that calf follow the beef side and the genomics on the beef side or the genomics on the calf side? And that, I believe, involves calving ease also. Anyhow, to move on to understanding the beef industry, what does the feedlot want? The feedlot wants cattle that are uniform in weight, muscling, and thickness. When you get out in the Midwest, we have feedlots right now that will not touch five, six-weight calves, seven-weight calves, whatever it is they're wanting to buy, without genomic information. They want to know what's the cat, what, what will these cattle do in the feedlot, okay? Uh, they need cattle that are going to gain well and cattle that are efficient. In other words, less days on feed, less feed consumed. They can move these cattle, which we call turns in the feedlot industry. So they can have several turns depending on what weight they bring these cattle in and how they feed them. Um, most importantly is what does the packer need to meet? the uh, consumer demand. Um, it has to fit the box, okay? Everyone should make this um, it, an, 
everyone should try to understand the importance of fitting the box, okay? Annalise, I can't see the bottom of that slide. Is there any way you can, okay, there we go. Um, fitting the box, what does that mean, okay? That means that the beef cuts that um, are produced from these animals are shipped out to a variety of customers, okay? That means they go to restaurants, they go to grocery stores, they go to export markets. Uh, yes, we have fellows that are feeding for freezer beef out here. But when you think about it, when a restaurant buys a box of New York strips, okay, or a box of ribeyes, it is very important that those ribeyes are very similar in shape, uh, thickness, and marbling. And so, Fitting the box, having cattle that are very uniform in size, shape, marbling, et cetera, is extremely important, okay? Um, dairy crosses have become a challenge to fit the box, okay? And why is that? Because we, we don't know, um, and as Victor pointed out, there, there's a lot of research gonna be done on this, is what bulls, beef bulls, with the genomic background for growth and all this, really works well on that Holstein. Do those genomics really fit um, with the Holstein? Okay, we know they fit when we breed them Angus to Angus or Simmental to Simmental. Do they fit when we pull these cattle and put them onto a dairy cross? And I'll give you an example of a major packer's experience here in Pennsylvania. Uh, JBS went out and purchased about 600 head of crossbred dairy black steers. Okay, but they were, I believe, five weights. They put them in, uh, and there was no genomic information. Okay, they just, this was all on a phenotype. They looked at them, they looked good. They put those cattle into a feedlot and then took them through to the slaughter plant and then characterized them as to how they would have been priced. Um, as, uh, as live cattle, okay? And keep in mind, and you guys all know this, the, the Holstein steer, the finished Holstein steer, unfortunately always falls price-wise below the native steer, okay? Because we only really have one major packer who's buying those calves, okay? They found that 25% of those calves out of those 600 would have been priced as Holstein. Okay, in other words, the carcasses took the characteristics of the Holstein, okay, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Another 25% would have been priced as native cattle, okay, meaning beef cattle, um, because they took on the um, muscling, you know, all that of the, the beef side. But that left 50% that they had no clue what to do with. They did not fit their box. So now when these packers see this, they start to hang back and, and say to the feedlot guys, I'm not sure I want these cattle because they don't fit the box. We have to do something to make them fit the box. Now I have other fellows out in the Midwest say, well, we have small regional packers and they're okay with this and that's fine. But depending on how, where you're going with these, um, with these crossbreds, you have to be able to understand what fitting the box is all about. Okay, next slide, Anna. Hey, Cheryl, there was a question that um, fits with what you were just talking about. Somebody asked, 
how um, we can get the most money for beef crosses? Like, do you have any ideas in terms of better places to sell them than, you know, just local auctions or um, breed companies that provide better semen than others? Yep. So we'll get through that. Okay. That's coming. So if, if somebody could just wait and then at the end of the presentation, if I don't hit that, just bring that back to me again. Okay. Okay. We've done a lot of work here in Pennsylvania with the calf fed Holsteins. Um, JBS came to us and said, these, these Holsteins coming into our plant are not fit in the box. You know, we're, they're, they're just, we call them long tails. If some of them are pushing the 30 month mark, uh, they're just all over the board. What could we do with them? And so we did a four-year project. Dr. Tara Felix um, headed this up. And here's some of the things we found about the Holstein steers. The good is they naturally marble. They have extremely fine marbling. They're very well accepted. Um, they may have something to do with the milk gene, okay? But here's the big thing. They're extremely uniform in size and shape for the most part if they're fed and managed correctly. Why is that? Because you guys Dairy guys are so good at the genomic side. You know, your, your, your gene pool is so close that we have a lot of uniformity in these cattle, okay? And so those steer calves, um, when they're fed correctly, are extremely, those carcasses are extremely uniform in size and shape. The not so good about the Holsteins is they tend to be a little light muscle. They're much less efficient than the natives. In other words, they eat more to make a pound of gain. So in order to counteract that, we have to feed a high grain diet and use implants to get any shape of muscle in the carcass and to get them to finish at the 15 to 16 months of age. Okay, next slide. Okay, and this is just kind of a, go back. There we go. This is just kind of a picture of one of our trials up at the Livestock Evaluation Center where we brought these Holsteins in um, and you can see they're they're bunk fed just as we would be feeding our feedlot cattle. Uh, We also have some grow safe um, uh, tools in there that we can measure feed efficiency, consumption, all those kind of things. Uh, The the lower slide shows um, how this diet is a lot more grain than forage. Um, there is silage in there and it's a, it's kind of a natural balance we have to do to keep uh, the cattle from going into acidosis. But the main point, and we have all kind of information on that if anybody wants it, but look at those steers up against that bunk. They are just as uniform as anything. And so that's the whole key behind the Holstein, okay, is they can be extremely uniform. Okay, next slide. When you get these fellas on the rail, okay, um, here's some different slides of some cuts, and and the native breed obviously is the one with the red circle around it. Um, That's a a very well-shaped ribeye, Delmonico steak, um, very good muscling through it. We look at the second one, 255, and that again is an example of one of the Holsteins that was bred. Now you can see the difference in the shape of that ribeye, okay? But that ribeye still has really good color. It's what, if you look at JBS's five-star program, they like those kind of loin eyes. I mean, they're a little bit longer than the, the natives, but we'd like to see them even wider, okay? But when they can continually come out like that, JBS can package that in a, in a 
in a box that can go to restaurants or wherever and it's extremely uniform. When we look at the last two, those are cattle steers that were fed grain. Not fed grain. I mean, we're very heavy on forage, okay? No implants. And so you can see there is still some marbling in there, but you see our color isn't the greatest. The shape isn't the greatest. And especially 428 is really, really narrow. So you put these stakes out in front of, of a consumer and which one are they going to want? We want to try to get these crossbreds to this Angus, Angus or whatever that breed was. I'm sorry, I'm bias, I guess, but to that native breed, that's where we're going. That's where we want to be with those Holsteins. Okay, next slide. Okay, and then here again is a picture of a carcass, of a, a native carcass, and you can see this one has got some fat to it, pretty good eye, beautiful shape. So go ahead to next. Okay, how do we get there? And again, we talked about, remember the Holstein cow contributes 50% of the genetics. They have, the Holsteins are light muscled with excellent marbling, but they usually have a little less outside fat, which is what the feedlot guys would like, okay? But we have to use breeds that are gonna add muscling, add marbling, yes and no, that Holstein really marbles well, but if you use some, some breeds that are really not known for marbling and they that cross um, resembles that breed more so than the Holstein, you could remove some of that marbling. They have to have growth and feed efficiency. And we can't do this by just by looking at cattle um, or hearsay by somebody said, oh yeah, you know, this bull put marbling in or this bull put big muscling in. We've got to use the genomics available. Um, the other thing is it would be great to be able to use sex semen to eliminate the crossbred heifer calves. Those heifer calves, for some reason, are not worth a whole lot. They seem to be um, very quick. In other words, they get fat pretty quick. Uh, they don't grow. They don't muscle up very well. But unfortunately, I'm told that bull sex semen is not readily available. So that could be something coming down the pipe later on. Next slide. Okay, so how do we get there? You guys are so far ahead of us in the use of genomics. You understand individual, um, individual uh, breed terminology, um, things like that in dairy. So you've got to understand it for the beef side. Luckily, the semen companies, breed associations, and universities are realizing the need for this kind of information. And so there are a lot of things being done um, for these companies, breed associations, to identify bulls that can make the cut that will work on these Holsteins. Uh, Tara, Dr. Tara Felix um, is running a USDA PSU research project. I believe it's a three-year project where we're also going to try to identify bulls uh, that work more consistently on Holsteins. I believe right now they have Angus Simmental crosses in, but they are actually out there breeding. They've got herds that are working with them and they're actually breeding those cows using other breeds um, just to kind of see if they can come up with um, bulls that will work on these Holsteins. Okay, next slide. And here's some of the examples. Beef in Focus is ABS. 
Um, we have Select is doing an awful lot of work in this area. Um, the Holstein Association, Scimitol Association have uh, combined to form the Holcim uh, breeding system. You have Altagenetics. Um, and then you also have Breeding to Feeding, which is Jerry Wolf, I believe, out of Minnesota, who's done this for years, believe it or not, I believe, using limousines and jerseys and has been very successful at it. So there's a lot of information coming down the pike. And again, I encourage you, before you just talk to the guy who's selling semen and he wants to sell you the cheapest thing down the pike, talk to these guys and ask them, what is it they're doing? Or talk to the universities. What are you doing? What do you guys know? Or even talk to a breeder. The Angus Association is doing some research trials with Holsteins also. Um, but talk to the breeders if you don't understand those genomics, or you can call me. I'd be glad to help you with, with the genomic side of this because it's so important. Okay, next slide. Okay, here's the thing on genomics. All breeds have different terminology, but most are going to have data for yearling weight, ribeye, carcass weight, marbling, and they will have it for calving ease. Okay, but keep in mind, all of this data is based on beef to beef. Okay, um, each breed is going to have their own index that combines several traits into one value. And I believe the semen companies are trying to come up with some of these indexes on the, the combinations they're working with. But in Angus, it's dollar beef. Okay. In Hereford, it's dollar certified Hereford beef or CHB. In Simmental, it's uh, dollar terminal index. And Charlotte calls it TSI. Okay. Those are the things that probably you can look at, but keep in mind, since calving ease is an issue, they do not include calving ease. So you kind of want to look at that terminal index and then look at the calving ease um, genomically enhanced EPD to see if that works. Again, I caution you only compare genomic data within breeds, not against breeds. Okay. And make sure that you look at the breed averages, okay? Because you're going to look at this, this genomic index and say, what's this mean to me? But if you find out what that breed average is, you can see whether that individual is higher in dollar beef or dollar TI or whatever breed it is you're looking at. Um, that's going to help you if you know that, that those breed averages. Um, again, beware of choosing the cheapest semen are purchasing semen on bulls that may be more terminal or more, more maternal rather. We're finding in a lot of these um, beef breeds now, you, you'll find people that are breeding for extremely maternal cows, people that are breeding for extremely terminal end, and then people that are trying to balance it across all spectrums to have a balanced herd. So, but don't just buy the cheapest thing in the tank because oftentimes that's stuff that a lot of people are not using anymore. Um, the number one goal yeah. of crossbreds, again, is more muscle. And do these indexes really translate to the dairy crosses? And that's the big question. But I still believe that if you're going to use cattle with the indexes for growth and carcass characteristics, you're at least a step in the right direction. So next slide. Cheryl, real quick, there was a question about um, performance data available on sires to increase um, the shape of the ribeye, and that would be that ribeye area. Yes, yes, correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Just wanted to clarify before I move on. Yep. Thank you. 
So we all hear about certified Angus beef, and you know when all this started with uh, with the, with the dairy guys, I had so many fellows call and say, "Oh, I had a purebred Holstein go CAB, or I had a crossbred that went CAB." And really, what you've got to understand is, yes, there are there are for the fellows who are feeding cattle, there are premiums if you hit the certified Angus beef requirement. But it's not just the black hide that's the requirement, okay? And they don't have to be purebred Angus, okay? They can be a Sim Angus, a Limflex, uh, Shorthorn Plus, but they have to meet these 10 requirements. So if we look at the requirements, we see modest to higher degree of marbling, check, probably okay. Medium to fine marbling texture, probably okay. A maturity if they're fed right and we're marketing them at 15 to 16, you know, months of age, even 18, 19, 20 months. Now we get into the issue. A 10 to 16 square inch ribeye area, that could be a problem. 10, 50 pounds or less car hot carcass weight. If we've got some of these huge Holsteins that we're trying to breed and they resemble that Holstein side, we could have uh, carcasses that are way too big for the packer's rails, which creates a problem. Less than one inch back fat, probably not a problem. Superior muscling, there's, there's your other problem. Okay, and that again goes to the ribeye. It also goes to the look of the thickness over the round, um, all those things when that when that grader is looking for CAB. Okay, I asked uh, uh, Micah Hagen out of JBS one time, what about these guys telling me they had a purebred Holstein go CAB? And he said, you know, Cheryl, there are times that that, that line moves pretty fast. And he said, you know what, a guy could have seen that marbling and then, just was distracted for a minute or whatever, didn't really look at that, uh, that ribeye and that, that, that carcass got labeled as CAB. He said that kind of stuff happens. But if, you know, somebody came to me and said, I had put 50 head of Holstein, finished Holsteins in their Elmate CAB, boy, I'd probably want be wanting to know more about the genetics behind those, but that's not what happens. So don't, black hide's a requirement, but it's not the only thing. So keep in mind, Buying that cheap semen um, just because it's an Angus or a Sim Angus or a black Simantor or whatever, just because it's cheap, may not get you where you think you're wanting to go. Okay, next slide. Hey, Cheryl, real quick before you move on. Um, there's a yeah. question about um, how the certified Angus beef requirements differ from other value-added programs, and are some of the other value-added programs more complementary to these dairy crosses? Um, you know what? I am not an expert in some of these others, um, but I would say that I would guess that that is a possibility. Um, I, I don't know. CAB is the premier one. It's the most popular one. The only other one that I really know of is certified Hereford beef. And um, I don't know enough about that. Um, I apologize for that, but CAB is the one that really comes to mind. Now, when you look at, um, I believe Jerry Wolf out there utilizing those lemmies on the jerseys, I don't know if they really have a program for that, you know, that they call it, uh, I, I'm sure he has a, a name for it, um, but you know, he's done the marketing for it. He's got the, the packers that want that and it's working for him. Um, 
but with the Holsteins, I, I just, I am not sure. So I, I really say I can't answer that. But when you look at those, at that CAB deal, you know, you've already got the marbling. For some breeds, that's the tough part to get in or marbling. You guys have that in those Holsteins. If you can just get that thicker, meatier carcass, you could very well be almost there. So... So I'm going to just move on to uh, for large herds with top management. And this is just something that's been brought to my attention. I believe Select is is uh, working with this um, Transova Genetics, and I'm sure some of these other IVF companies um, are working with this, where they are making available uh, and actually breeders. There are breeders that are are making this available also, but it's implanting high genomic beef embryos into bottom end dairy cows that will produce produce carcass-oriented, otherwise terminal beef calves that are highly sought after by the feedlots, okay? They can sex these embryos now, and so we can pretty much say, hey, we want, you know, just the the bull embryos put in. Um, Large feedlots are beginning to purchase fetal feeder cattle based on their genomic potential. We mentioned that earlier. And I understand that there are some calf ranches out there that are also starting to look at paying premiums for these kind of calves. And why coming out of dairies and why is that? Because they know exactly what these calves are going to do. Okay. However, go ahead. Next slide. This isn't for everybody, okay? And, and you know, from a beef standpoint and a, a beef industry need, this would be fantastic in terms of what the product we're getting out because there would be no question. But, and as, uh, and as Dr. Cabrera uh, mentioned earlier, you have got to add in the cost of this calf. You have got to push the pencil, okay? You've got to have excellent management to make any kind of embryo program work, okay? You may be able to recover your costs by selling to a calf ranch willing to pay a premium for beef calves with genomic data behind them, Um And you know what? The beef industry is all about relationships, okay? And I'll give you an example. In our herd, we have been selling our steer calves and placing um, uh, other herds that kind of use the same genetics that we do. We place anywhere from from 100 to 200 head of uh, Angus calves into a feedlot. We've done it with the same guy for 15 years, okay? But we have a relationship developed with him, and he knows that what's coming out of out of the calves we're placing are going to fit exactly what he needs, okay? And so there's a relationship. That calf ranch may not pay you a premium right away, but if those calves work and they want them and they can sell them and make some money on the other end, they're going to look for them, okay? Sometimes in this embryo deal, it might pay you to keep them until uh, they hit slaughter weight, but then that's a whole new um, aspect of a dairy where you have to have the room um, to keep them or you have to find somebody to custom feed them for you, okay? You've got to push the pencil. It is not for everyone. But I just wanted to throw that out to you because I see there's a lot more work going on in this and it might might work for some some dairy herds. Okay, next slide. So why do we even bother? Okay, we're trying to increase revenue for dairy producers. Okay, okay, calves will normally bring more than than dairy bull calves, which in my mind I think is so unfortunate. Um, it's so unfortunate JBS is the only one buying those finished Holsteins because I think they make a beautiful package, but. 
when you only have one buyer, it's it's really tough. Um, I understand that, you know, um, and I heard Victor say, and I've heard from our guys that, you know, some of these black cabs uh, can bring $200, $250. I've also heard them bring $100 to $150, but that's a heck of a lot more than $10, which I've heard some of the Holsteins are bringing. It also decreases the number. Oh, well, let me go back to the embryos. I have seen some data where they say these guys are willing to pay three to three fifty for these embryo calves. I can't vouch for that, that that's exactly true. I have not run into anybody who's who's getting those kind of dollars or actually even doing this, but that's what's out there in some of the literature. Um, it also is a decrease in number of heifers kept back. Um, and we talk sometimes in, in this neck of the woods that if the cattle are crossed, the temptation to keep back too many heifers is lost, okay, because they've got to move them. Uh, we also have small producers who can raise some of these cattle for freezer beef or for local shops. Um, and, and when you're doing freezer beef for local shops, that idea of fitting the box may not be as critical. Um, but keep in mind what you can't sell as a freezer beef has to be sold somewhere. And if it goes to the cash to the local auction or whatever, um, you may be out of luck if, if there's not a whole lot of muscle shape in those cattle. Um, large producers can produce a product that fits the box that may result in premiums from calf ranches. Um, in some literature I read, they talk about where if a fella could produce 40 or 50 of these, you know, every week or every other week and keep that calf ranch filled, or if you have room to, to raise them to, to weaning weight and be able to sell loads out like that, you know, that's where you start seeing a little bit more of the, the income for those, those kind of calves. So next screen. I think that's it. And this is just a picture of some calves um, taken here in Chester County. Um, a fellow was just kind of getting started with this. He's a really good producer um, and uh, he's working with us to, to try to even better uh, the calves that, that he's, he's working with. So there's just a lot of, you know, questions and, and I was very happy to follow um, Dr. Cabrera's uh, presentation because I also feel the monetary side of this has to be looked at. You cannot do this and think you're going to get rich, okay? Yeah, you're going to get a few more dollars in, but if you if you really put your mind to it and, and produce something that the industry wants, um, I think you can be very successful at this. So. so, Lisa, I think that's the end of my presentation. I have a few more questions, and, and Dr. Pogar, yep. if you want to jump in on any of them, that would be great, too. Um, one of the questions, I'll have you circle back, Cheryl, to getting the most money out of these crosses and some other yep. ideas other than selling them at local auctions, what you can yep. do. And you mentioned a few of those things, but do you have any other ideas? Yeah. The, the biggest one for me that I find, and I talk to my, I, I deal with a lot of small cow-calf producers here, is you've got to set try to set up a relationship with somebody who's feeding these cattle. Okay. That's the first step you can take. Um, because if you can sell direct, all right, to a feedlot or to smaller groups that are maybe feeding for freezer beef or whatever, and you set up a relationship, you can see a few more dollars because, you know, it's, it's, there's, it's going from me to you. They know what those calves are doing. 
And that is just so important, okay? But the other way is to, if you're small, you can sell the freezer beef, okay? And you can go that way and, and you can make some money if, if, you've, if you're living in a populated area as we are, okay? But the other way is to be able to, you know, get in with a feedlot, be able to produce a lot more of these calves. Um, you know, a lot of times these feedlots, these bigger feedlots only want, they want pen sizes. So if you have calves that are weighing four to five weights and that's what that feedlot guy wants and you can put 40 of them into him at one time, they have to be uniform in shape and size and weight, those kind of things. So that could be somewhat difficult, but it's all about looking at at different marketing opportunities um, and then really making people believe and see that those calves are worth it for their, for their end of the, of their operation. So. Dr. Cabrera, do we have any um, data on, in terms of um, profitability of Jersey crosses? Uh, no, for the most part, we have worked under the assumption of uh, this kind of uh, business uh, enterprises being done with Holsteins because most mm -hmm. of the herds are. I do know from some Jersey producers that it seems to work pretty well as well. You would need to select your own... Uh, breed your beef semen differently than the Holstein likely and potentially the the issue that was mentioned at the beginning, the cabin easiness would become or could become a larger problem. So that's something to take into consideration. Yeah. And you know, if somebody really wants information, um, Jerry Wolf out there in Minnesota, I know has, has done this for years. I'm sure that he would, you know, if, if you send him an email or something, I bet you he could send you information on what he's done out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Riverview Group has been doing that for a very long time. Um, yeah. Quick question for you, Cheryl, on the um, on the embryo side of things. Uh -huh. The fertility of those embryos and, and how we should calculate the cost of a lost embryo into the dairy's, you know, cost assumption on those, you know, running those numbers. Yep. And that's, that's a big, big question. Um, and I am not very familiar. I don't do much work with dairy cattle at all. So, you know, in beef herds, um, you know, if we get a conception rate on embryo transfer of 60 to 70%, we're like, wow. You know, a lot of times it's down to the 50% side. Um, I, I don't know what to tell you on dairy side. That would be a really good question for a dairy repro person to answer that. But you know what? The other thing is, is what you're going to pay for these embryos. And again, I have seen figures from $130 for an embryo all the way up to Two three hundred dollars. So that plays that that plays a big um, part in this. But if it's true that you're going to be able to get three to three fifty on these calves, that might make a difference. But again, this is all. Believe it or not, this this information has just kind of hit the waves here in the like last month. Um, 
And again, you've got to be able to have really somebody who can manage recepts and and knows mm-hmm. what you're doing to make this work. It's not for everybody. Anything else you'd like to add, Dr. Cabrera, before we go? Uh, well, the, the only thing I would like to emphasize is the fact that <clears throat> there are materials available out there. Uh, every farm is different and mm-hmm. every situation is different across the country. Yep. Uh, I do think there is an opportunity here. Uh, I think, in my opinion, is here to stay. And farmers will need to take care of that market niche. Um, And just to finish up saying that there are resources specifically on on our website, dairymgt.info, if you wanna check them out. Don't be afraid to ask questions because you're not the only one asking them. Very good, well thank you so much for your time today, guys. we are really grateful for your expertise and um, willingness to spend time with us to talk about through this um, interesting and uh, more popular becoming topic and um, helping us wade through some of the intricacies and complexities involved. In. Thanks for joining us today for Farm Journal Intel. For more great information from Farm Journal, join us for Farm Journal Field Days, a virtual modern farm show. It's free. Register now at farmjournalfielddays.com slash register. We'll see you next time.